Hey, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Know Small Thing. I'm Scott. (laughs) And I'm Macy. And today's episode is episode 23. Oh, yeah, it was last week. Yeah, 22. 22. So this is 20. This is 23, and it we, is... We, we recorded it a while ago. We recorded this like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, but we're releasing it to you today, and it is an interview episode titled... Falling in Love with Yourself Again. Falling in Love with Yourself Again. Kind of a what cool title. What a title. And the title's We didn't come chosen. up with that. Yeah, we didn't come our... up with that. Interview subject. So who is this interview subject? So, so we interviewed Dr. Ted Klontz, and Ted I'm going Klontz. to read his bio here, and then I'll say a little bit about how I know him, mm-hmm. and then we'll say a little bit about the episode. So uh, Dr. Ted Klontz, PhD. Listen to this freaking bio, and and interesting, you'll hear on the episode, he does not lead with this bio. He doesn't really talk no. about it. Mm-hmm. He, he talks about... Him, he, he says, I'm a person who exists to help people fall in love with themselves again. Yeah, that's what I think cool. he considers his like vocation. Yeah, so I just thought that it was like fairly, he was fairly low on ego. Like a lot of people love to talk about their credentials and what mm-hmm. they do. And he was just like, didn't really even take the bait, so to speak, <laughs> when we tried to get him to. Because I, I guess maybe there's something for us, a benefit for us as hosts that are trying to get this content out to say, look at this. PhD that we got to talk to. Right. Like this guy isn't just like a random dude throwing out these ideas. He's done a lot of work and has a lot of experience that leads to him having like some validity in what he's saying. Yes. So we're going to, we're going to pump him up now. He doesn't do it in the episode. So Dr. Ted Klontz, PhD, Associate Professor of Practice of Financial Psychology and Behavioral Finance at Crichton University's Hyder College of Business and a founder of the Financial Psychology Institute based in Nashville. What does that even mean? We don't know. You, you all look it up and tell us what it means. He has a 40-plus year career in counseling, consulting, and advising that has included authoring, co-authoring, and contributing to five financial psychology-related books. We didn't even really talk about this. We didn't talk about financial psychology. Nope, not at all. Yeah. He's a published researcher, professional speaker, and trainer with corporate groups focusing on communication skill development and anxiety management. So just stop right there, also acknowledging that this is sort of continuing some of the themes that have been emerging with our wellness our themes. Yes. <laughs> Ted is a, is a designer and facilitator of workshops, consultant to major entertainment management groups. <laughs> Who is this person? Consultant to the U S defense department <laughs> and has a private practice focused on working with professional athletes, entertainers, and financial professionals. He has served in expert roles as an advisor to congressional committees and is regularly quoted in national and international media, including <laughs> The Today Show, CNN, Good Morning America. Really? We did not know who, who, who we were in the presence of. Larry King Live, Oprah, NPR, really? The Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, New York Times. Ted's <laughs> Healing Money Issues Workshop was featured on ABC News' 2020 and Good Morning America. He also has appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Network. He is president of Klontz Consulting Group. <laughs> he served as, this is almost comical. He has served as one of the founding executive officers of the National Financial Therapy Association and is co-founder of Your Mental Wealth, a direct-to-consumer personal finance brand. Whoa, oh, whoa, my whoa. goodness. If this I had is the interview you're about to hear, folks. These credentials heading into it, I would have been... It may be more intimidated. Even more intimidated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so just so everybody knows, the connection for me personally is... Um, one of my one of my good friends, Mark, who occasionally listens to the podcast. If you're Shout listening, out to Mark. Mark, what's up? Uh, he works for a financial consulting firm agency. I, I don't know the real world of work, so I don't know <laughs> if anybody knows what this is. It's he works for UBS. It's a big financial consulting conglomerate. 
So Ted is a person that they bring in for their clients oftentimes to talk about managing money well. Hmm. And then in the process of working with Ted over the years, Mark and Ted started a close relationship. And now Mark and Ted are buddies. And I've been out to dinner with Ted a few times to talk about this sort of stuff, counseling, life. And um, Ted was coming to town to do some work with UBS. And Mark said, maybe you should interview him for the podcast. And thank you to Mark. My friend, yeah, seriously, for arranging it. So Mark arranged it. Uh, Macy got and I got to go downtown to the UBS offices, which are pretty cool and impressive. And they had a private little room for us. You can see it on our Instagram. It was rather wild and yeah. intimidating. And Ted was just there. He and just also, chilling. if you just listen to our sleep episode, Macy and I had to wake up pretty darn early for oh, this interview. We were s- <laughs> <laughs> kind of sleepy. Yeah, we we're pretty sleepy. <laughs> I think Macy was sixty percent <laughs> present. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You did a great job. Nobody would have known, but that's no. what you said. Yeah, I definitely felt 60%. I needed a lot more coffee. Mm-hmm. It's just, guys, we're all different sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. Go back to episode 22. It's a thing. Yeah, go back. <laughs> so what did you think of what did you think of the experience? Oh, I thought it was really it was a cool experience. I mean, he had so much to say. It was like we'd ask one tiny yeah, question. We didn't have to work hard at all. No, and yeah. he had just stories upon stories to share that were all very relevant and helpful, and mm-hmm. I've thought about them a lot. I yeah. think that's yes. what kind of is a testimony to the power of the conversation in that in the moment I was you know, receiving the information and like, wow, this is helpful and cool. And I love these stories. But since then it's been about two weeks and I'm still reflecting on certain themes or ideas or, you know, concepts that he talked about. And I don't know, it's been really helpful and interesting to think about. Um, he talked a lot about the power of poetry, which, yeah, and art. And I forgot art about that. Yeah. which was such a cool emphasis to hear from someone who's doing like wellness and talking to all these people in like business areas that was very encouraging and cool for yeah. me yeah so there is a lot there's a lot of gold within here i'm to, excited to listen to again. encourage you and it was encouraging to me yeah i think it's like a resource i think yeah if you're listening now i think this will be a really interesting and helpful and beneficial immediately beneficial episode mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think it's also something honestly and i'm not saying this to promote the podcast although there's probably something about that i think it is something you'd want to share with people it's i think so too. helpful yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm, I've only listened once in the sense that I was in the room interviewing him, but I'm excited to go back and listen myself. I think another little, just as a little teaser, another little thing he talked about was this concept that Macy and I have been referencing of, about like a boardroom. Oh gosh. And yes. you, and you as like the, the person who, who is the person in charge of your life, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can, it can hold a board meeting and, and invite different parts of your personality in and let them speak. And mm-hmm. that's part of the art process. He, as a therapist, he says that's one of his roles to, to invite all the, all the people, all the characters that reside inside of you into the boardroom and, and, and let them have their say. Yeah. Um, and not, not, not stifling the, the important voices. He also had this image of a, he talks a lot about kids. Mm-hmm, we mentioned mm-hmm. that. He said a lot of the, the voices that are trying to tell you something important start with like tugging on your shoulder or t- tugging on your arm. And if you're not listening and don't give them place to speak, they'll start kicking you in the shin and mm-hmm. start doing a lot of damage in your life. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting. And I think it was super interesting and fun to see how much Ted doesn't know the Enneagram necessarily. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you listen to No Small Thing, you know that Scott and I... Well, maybe he does and he was just being kind of coy about it. Maybe. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> but if you listen to No Small Thing, you know that we're advocates of the Enneagram as mm-hmm. a tool for self-discovery. And 
something that we talk about is how it's a way to understand yourself and kind of love your true self, your yes. essence. Yes. And everything he was saying seemed to line up with that. He is someone who was encouraging us to not um, like approach life in terms of needing to improve, but it, approach it in terms of like, I have so much goodness mm -hmm. and things to offer the world within myself. And it's about tapping into those voices and allowing your own self to shine. That is like the most beneficial thing for you. So Ooh. I was highly encouraged. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he talked about uh, all sorts of interesting things. He talked about we talked about Mister Rogers. Yeah, we yeah. talked about the Lakota Native American tribes. Yeah. We talked about uh, faith in Christianity and 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 not Christianity. And not yeah 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 like his journey through sort of more of a you the know, unpacking strict, of his Christianity yeah, basically. Oh man. It was I, good. It's we're, good. We're, I'm excited Rich, for you all to interesting listen. Interesting things. You're about to get You're some good stuff. Doctor Ted Klontz. Now. Yeah. All right, everybody. I uh, hope you enjoy, and we'll be back next week. I think with an episode on defense mechanisms. Oh, get ready for that. Get ready for that. Okay. Okay, everybody. Here's the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are here today with an interview with Ted. Quants. Ted Quants. I'm very excited about this. And just to paint the picture, we're downtown in, in a big Seattle skyscraper. Is this an official skyscraper? Is it just a big, it's a big I building. I consider this a skyscraper. Um, we'll probably post a picture on our Instagram of uh, where we are. It's pretty spectacular. We're in the UBS building. This is a podcast on yeah. site downtown. <laughs> Do you want me to give you my password, Mark? Uh, no, I can do this. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and, and we're here with Ted. And um, we were, we're hoping Ted can explain a little bit about what he does, because he does a lot. And part of what he does has to do with UBS, but a lot of other things, too. Yeah. Well, um, the big... I would describe if I'm in company where I think it won't freak them out too much. Yeah. Um, That's what us, I, I think. What I say <laughs> is my job is to help you fall in love with yourself again. Mm. Right. And uh, for people who uh, I understand that would be a little bit too much, mm -hmm. uh, I would say my role is to help you be who you intend to be. Hmm. Yeah. That's so sweet. Do you, do, you, do you have thoughts about that, Macy? <laughs> hmm. No, I just, I just like that. What yeah. do you mean by who you intend to be? Um, well, it came out one time when I was in a meeting that I shouldn't have been in with presidents of countries. And, Whoa. You know, I, I was um, sort of secreted into this dinner. Mm. I was with one of my clients. And part of my work with her over the years is she's this beautiful, big-hearted person and her persona in public was one of exactly the opposite, acidic, mm. nasty. And oh. that's, mm. she didn't have any sense of you know, what was going on. So basically, once she realized that there was a huge gap between who she intended to be and the way she came across, mm. um, that became our job. And so one of the gentlemen said, what are you doing here? Because obviously, I didn't belong <laughs> with this group of people. And... Uh, 
I said, my job is to help her be the person she would like to be when she talks to you. And he goes, oh, hmm. I could use one of those. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's sort of how it came out. So that's, that's what I mean, is that we have um, a way we would like to show up in the world that people would love us because, hmm. you know, that's our nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somehow something gets in our way. And so we don't show up as who we intend to be. We show up as what we believe is necessary to survive in that particular moment in that kind of situation. Hmm. Oh, which isn't necessarily bad because it works in some ways, but it's, uh, it's efficient yeah. to help us get through without getting hurt. Yeah. So, right. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, however, our behaviors can hurt other people yeah. without us being aware of it. Yeah. And then all they know is what they see. Hmm. And then they start sharing what they see. And so there's, there's a gap. So I end up being lonely because nobody understands me. Uh, it almost, uh, I have a 14 and a 12-year-old, and it almost reminds me on a smaller scale of, of kids. That I'll see them making fun of each other, kind of being harsh with each other. And I'll say to my son or some of his friends, I'm like, oh, that seemed kind of harsh to your friend. And they're like, oh, no, he was laughing. He liked it. You know, the, the, he doesn't have any problem with it. I'm like... Maybe after he leaves and he's not in your presence anymore, he goes home and he's sad. You know, have you ever thought about that? <laughs> uh, all those things are an attempt to connect. Yeah. Um, mm. But I call them inefficient mm-hmm. in terms of what could be happening. Mm. Uh, Man, so, that's good. Yeah. So that's like your guiding inner sense of self and purpose. Correct. And then you have a website and you're you're like a consultant for financial firms like this and uh, right. you're therapist and you know um but in, but in my those field, are your guiding yeah in my field you're supposed to have a niche mm. and i i'm not a niche guy because okay. i mm. think everything's connected yeah uh, one of the interesting things about money is it's one of the few things that connects everything in our life so if we have mm. a spiritual practice having money allows us to buy books and tapes and maybe go to workshops yeah mm. uh, of course money helps us have a place to live and eat and uh, stuff like that and uh, in terms of if I want to find out who I really am beyond those two things, uh, it allows me to ha- be able to do that, too, through mm. retreats, again, reading, mm. uh, studying, those kinds of things. So um, I think money ha- in our culture has a very unique position. I don't know anything else that touches uh, all those elements of, of our needs. Wow. Mm. I haven't thought about that before. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> So where did you, when did this journey first begin that you? Uh, well, about seven decades ago, <laughs> actually. Uh, but I grew up uh, in an environment uh, where I was uh, very much a spectator, trying mm. to figure out what in the world was going on. And mm. I didn't know what normal was, so that was normal. But, it, it, you know, it, there was something going on I didn't mm. understand. So I'd be, I was always curious about how things worked and why they worked and all that. Um, and uh, when I graduated from college, I started coaching basketball and baseball hmm. in, in a school system. And what I noticed right away was there's slippage between practice and the performance. Hmm. And I became really curious about that. And back in those days, nobody were, was talking about, well, there's the mental part of all this. Now, hmm. today, it's like everybody knows that, right? Uh, but no one had even considered that uh, hmm. at the time. So I became really curious about that. And then... Uh, the more I became curiouser and curiouser, the more and more I, I discovered. And, and then um, I started developing ways to um, take advantage of what I knew. And so our teams always overperformed. Hmm. Hmm. And 
it was because of what we call the mental game. And then shortly after I became really interested in this, um, there was a book by Timothy Galway called The Inner Game of Tennis. And it's like, oh, yes, there's another guy. And then there was an Olympian by the name of Dwight Stone Hmm. uh, who, um, when you would watch him do his jump, he would rehearse it. He would close his eyes and he would nod his head up and down and then the big nod as he makes a jump and then he'd take off and do it. He was hmm. rehearsing hmm. the perfect jump. So it's like, you know, this is this is all really good. And so that has followed me all the way through. It's like I'm just really curious. And I, I have the sense uh, also what I grew up um, being taught is there's something innately wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And it never quite fit. Uh, that's I, And I couldn't tell you why, but... It, I couldn't talk about it much because, you know, the environment was, there obviously is, and our whole premise about life is built on the fact there's something wrong with people mm. and we have to fix it. Mm. And um, uh, so I became less and less convinced of that. As I, I, What I would see is people who acted in a particular way, but I knew their heart and that's not, mm. and it was a survival mm. mechanism. And like, so what are we surviving? And so that, that whole thing. Um, and then I began to discover ways that were more efficient than others and actually helping people close that gap between who they appear to be and who they actually are on the inside. And quite often, they don't know, who, they don't know that they aren't um, who they appear to be. I, I, there's a term I like called, uh, they put on a mask and we grow into it. Hmm. And we don't even realize we have a mask on. Right? Yeah. So wow. it's like, uh, <laughs> what's, what's the dissolving thing that we can actually use uh, to help take that mask off. Yeah. And help them discover that. Yeah. Uh, rediscover it, actually. So that's, until we're about two and a half or three, uh, we were totally in love with ourselves. We'd look, we'd pick up our toe and, and like look at it like it's the most <laughs> fascinating thing yeah. uh, that totally. we've ever seen. And uh, like everything is like, wow, you know, mm. um, there's a, there's a movement now uh, where, um, with some chemical assistance, uh, we sort of go back to that blissful state mm. like, uh, where everything, like nothing is as it appears to be, but everything is everything. Um, mm. If you, uh, I think the name of the book is um, something like Getting a New Mind or something like okay. that. And the gentleman uh, who did the writing uh, talked about um, the experience with LSD and some of the other stuff. It's like rediscovering mm. that childlike experience. We've been... That people uh, find blissful. That's been out. That material is out there more and more. Oh, yeah. Like we've been listening to some there. podcasts about <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, and then, then there's another one we listened to where people talked about having done LSD once in a, a very controlled environment, like 30 years ago. Right. And all of these people, in their own way, went into the ministry somehow because it yeah. was like this religious <laughs> experience. Yeah. Well, you know, and and I, in my own first of all, the thing I understood is I can never be of any more help to anyone else than I have been myself. Mm. So uh, this didn't begin with an attempt to help other people. It was Mm. like, I I need to understand myself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I've had those um, transitional experiences where I entered another plane without the use of drugs, which is sort of freaky. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's the same experience. Like The world is very different in that moment, and Mm. uh, it's life-changing. Yeah. Mm. There's something something that happens when um, I have experienced life on a different plane unexpectedly. Mm. Like it just 
And well, yeah, before we turned on the microphones, Ted told us a, a story about a daymare. A daymare. A daymare. It was Not pretty a wild. It seemed like life yeah. changing. Yeah. And Macy works at a preschool, so she sees a lot of this innocence yes. every day. You a know? lot of innocence. But then also, yeah. I work with kids that are two and a half to five, and there's different classes, and there is such a difference kind of around age five where you start to see um, self doubt and then also other kids coming in and kind of feeding that imagery, no matter how much we're facilitators and educators and we try and uphold their innate goodness, but it's hard. It's not, yeah, our, it's not our culture, our culture is not built on innate goodness. Mm-mm. And, um, uh, if one carries that, we will soon be disabused of that notion. Hmm. That, uh, and we, and we buy into the, hmm. there's something wrong with us and we need to fix it if we're ever going to be happy. And hmm. the problem is there's nothing wrong with us, so it can never be fixed. So, you know, we'll never quite reach it uh, because there's, <laughs> you know, if, if I try to heal my broken arm and it's not broken, then, hmm. you know, it, it's, I, right. it won't heal because yeah. it, it's not broken, right? I yeah. mean, it's just, uh, and, and I, it's very cultural specific because not all cultures um, have that perspective hmm. of what human beings are. And when our culture comes in conflict with that, they usually lose. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think that if if we are thinking there's something deficient in us, then we're also looking at other people Absolutely. and seeing deficiencies in Absolutely. them instead of them as being... Yeah, the um, how I treat you or how um, you feel about my experience as a result of being with me is a direct reflection hmm. of what I'm experiencing. And as you look, especially in our political world today, when I see some things that are being said and done, it's like, actually, I cried one time because I thought, how painful an existence must, must that person mm. be living mm. with every day mm. to mm. say and do that to other people that and it wasn't like they were talking to them at all. It was just a reflection of, mm. of uh, and it actually, it's not a reflection, it's a, it's a projection. Projection. What's mm-hmm. going on inside. Oof. Yeah. All right, so I'll just say that is that is Ted. That's our little <laughs> intro, our to, intro Ted. to Ted. <laughs> yeah, and uh, w- coming up next, we're titling this uh, we're titling this episode "Falling in Love with Yourself Again." And so Ted's already given some teasers about that. But uh, when we come back, we, are, we we this is what we say when we come back. <laughs> we're not going anywhere, but we have a little music interlude. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get into that topic. So we'll catch you later. There you go. Typically, um, if a little kid has a nightmare, um, mom and dad or whoever the caregivers are don't say, well, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that happens. Don't worry about it. Um, How would you like a donut? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's like we're literally taught. And, and the message there is uh, it's insignificant. It's not important. And the fact that you had it 
becomes uh, an issue. Right? And you should move forward. You should move forward and yeah. don't let that, you shouldn't be afraid. And, you know, uh, that's not what all cultures do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, in the Native culture, Native American culture that I'm familiar with, um, in the traditional families, that kind of nightmare is like that's a life determiner. Mm. It's like, uh, okay, oh, right. there's something We're really use special it. about that. Yeah. Let's and then they, the, they're taken away for a period of time, and they expand on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now tell me what else you see, and tell me what else is there, and and that particular individual um, becomes special mm. because they're a dream holder, right? Mm. And they have a ritual where they. Uh, create a situation like the controlled conditions of LSD uh, that they're doing at John Hopkins now, um, where they, um, if you don't have one, you're likely to have one <laughs> because mm. you are sent away for mm. three days mm. uh, with, um, I think you get some water but no food, mm. and they encourage you not to sleep. And then you begin to have hallucinations, and then wow. that becomes... Uh, we call it a vision quest, right? Or they call it a vision quest. And uh, so if you haven't had one by the time you're 17 years old, um, then we'll provide an environment where you're likely to have one. There's, that's how important they believe it is. That's so cool. And there's something cool about it being, like, valuing youth and children in that, in the sense of, like, oh, yeah. your dreams yeah. and your stories I mean, have something to say to our community. Yeah, every, every um, educator... And everybody who loves children wants them to have a, a, a sense of good self, a sense of self-worth, yeah. right? high self-worth. And uh, <laughs> so we give them little things they can post on the wall and, and so on. In the meantime, we're essentially saying you're, there's something wrong with your nature. Hmm. So, you know, like how honoring is it of a child to have them sit down and tell me more about this dream? Yeah. But, you know, dreams are really special and it's a way that sometimes we get important information about how to live life and yada, yada, yada. That's an unusual thing, and I, I need to you know, uh, give some absolution to the caregivers uh, because usually it's mom and dad, and hmm. it's like, yeah, I'd really like to, but you know, we got to catch the bus. Right? Yeah. And not only that, we have to make the money. And, and it goes back to, uh, you know, it's never meant for two people to raise a child. Hmm. There's a whole group of people whose job it was to... You know, make take care of them, and Major in some snaps. cultures, actually, <laughs> uh, the parents get to play the role of grandparents. They never do any correcting. They mm. don't do any socializing. It's all mm. done by relatives and the elders, mm. and wow. so the parents can keep this pure, loving connection mm. uh, with no, you know, have tos and shoulds and all that kind of stuff. So, again, part of our culture is set up to uh, make make it not happen. There's no time. <laughs> Yeah, please. Well, our, our friend Mark is here. He has a question. He doesn't have a microphone. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Mark has asked Ted to tell the story about walking backwards. Well, I'm so not quite sure which story. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, in the Lakota culture, um, there's... Well, do you want to explain a little bit about what you do with the Lakota culture? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's a part of something that saved my life. Hmm. Right? Um, I was very... I was involved in a very... Uh, what we call fundamentalistic church. Wow. And um, uh, That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> We're going off on some of our rabbit trails that we knew we would right now, and it's worth it. This is all good stuff. And this in, is good In stuff. a second, we're going to go to falling in love with yourself again. But right now, we're talking about 
yeah. Ted, a little, a little story with Ted that Mark wants him to tell. So, yeah, so that's what's happening. Uh, <laughs> of course, the basic premise of that um, type of religious experience was there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And the reason that you're not feeling good is you haven't fixed what's wrong with you. So come to the altar one more time. Gosh. Uh, sac- you know, I think they called it uh, sanctify yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. keep, keep doing these things and eventually you'll feel better. And um, I was, by that time, 27, 28 years old, and was feeling worse and worse. Oh. Basically, basically, what I was told is, you're not doing it well enough, or with, with enough conviction or whatever. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know how to do it any better. Well, you know, that's because you haven't reached that place. And, and it was a very sincere thing on my part of, hmm. I want to do this right so I can yeah. feel better, right? And um, uh, the... The church had a mission uh, out on the Navajo reservation. And um, so part of the experience of that was uh, I, I wanted to do something to help people mm-hmm. in a direct way. So I took a bunch of kids out there, and about 34 high school kids, and we did sort of a head start uh, kind of thing for about six weeks. Um, because at, at that point in time, uh, the first English that a child going to school would hear um, would be in school, mm. so that they just talked their native language. Mm. So they were always behind, and and their teachers were primarily white, right? Who didn't speak Navajo, mm. and um, that that somehow I was in my bliss. And I at the end of that, I'm walking through the desert, uh, thinking I'm going to stay here. Mm. I'm not going back. I might go back and do it, you know, what I have to do to get rid of things. But I'm coming back, and this big voice boomed out of the desert, going. You don't belong here. Go find this in your own culture. And I'm thinking, whoa, whoa. If I could find it there, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) Um, And uh, what I suddenly I became, that didn't work for me anymore. Hmm. And gradually there was a slipping away of, you know, there's something not quite right about this. These people have something I don't have. Hmm. And I don't know what, and it was like peace with themselves. And Hmm. they had had nothing, no water. They had to drive 80 miles to get water. No electricity. They had snakes in the meat counter of the trading post to keep the rats from eating the meat. Wow. It wasn't cooled or anything, but they had Mm. rattlesnakes in there to protect the meat. Uh, So we're not talking... uh, Something was missing, and I didn't Mm. know what it was. Um, And so I became very... uh, So I turned away from religion and became, uh, in my mind, very interested in the Native American culture, Mm. their history, their philosophy. Not religion, you know, because they didn't have a word for religion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... Um, I began uh, to study uh, a lot about that. And in Lakota culture, they have um, a character, uh, a role, if you will. Uh, It's called the Hayoka. Hmm. And they do everything opposite of the way that we... So they wash with dirt. Hmm. They dry off with water. Um, When they want to go forward, they walk backwards. And um, that its its use in the tribe is to... Teach people. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so you're not odd or mentally ill or anything. It's mm-hmm. just um, they go. This one t- has something to teach us, and in, yeah. in that case, it's to remind people of what not to do because wow. it looks silly. Yeah, they, they say goodbye when they mean hello, and they say hello when they mean goodbye. I mean, it's just the oh. and and that's an honored place. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an honored place in the culture. Like, is this really important? And uh, so that was the walking backwards part. And they honor their children really interestingly, too. Um, I was uh, 
every summer I take a group of people out there and we do a retreat. And the retreat is really based on um, encouraging people to find that voice inside themselves and begin mm-hmm. honoring it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, to take those parts of them that exist, like we all have an inner critic, and take that part for a walk and mm-hmm. you know have a conversation with it, um, assuming that that inner critic thinks it's doing something on our behalf mm-hmm. that's positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and typically, if we don't listen to it, it gets louder and louder and louder. Um, there's a Carl Jung once said that those parts of us that we refuse to look at eventually show up in their most primitive form. Ooh. Right? Sort of like a little kid saying, yeah. hey, dad, yeah, dad, dad. And then you yeah. get a kick in the shins. Like, yeah. like well, you don't have to hit me. It's like, yeah. yes, I do. Because yeah. mm. you're not listening, right? Mm. Uh, so the, uh, we were, I was talking with this gentleman, and we were sort of conducting business. Mm-hmm. And his granddaughter walks up and says, Grandpa. He turned without anything to her, bent down, and they had a wow. conversation for a couple minutes in Lakota. Mm. Mm. He stood up and we continued our conversation. That's yeah. not what would happen in our culture. It's like, okay, now the two adults are talking and totally. uh, you know, we think we're doing something good. It's like we're teaching them respect. And really what he taught her is you are valuable. Hmm. Yeah, your voice matters. Your voice matters. Hmm. And this, the, the feeding of that self-worth piece, because hmm. she was, you know, her, her mind was, am I going to lose my grandfather to this new person? Hmm. Right. The, am I going to lose my place? So she comes up, she tests that, goes away, hmm. like really happy. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I see that over and over and over again. Uh, there's a friend of mine who huh. helps us with the Lakota part of their tree where we um, try to introduce people to different ways of seeing things, uh, like the Lakota. And um, we were having a talk, uh, he was doing a talk on uh, native medicine and hmm. so on. And we were at a, a little lake, and his granddaughter um, comes up to him with a little crawdad in her hand. And she said, Grandpa, what is that? Now, he's in the middle of a, quote, lecture, right? Mm. And he bends over, and, and we overhear the conversation. It's like, wow, now tell me what you think that. I mean, mm. it's just the, mm-hmm. I love that. that kind of thing. And they went on for like three or four minutes, and he said, okay, now you know that um, that's where they live. And so if we keep her much longer then she's not going to... And so the little girl goes over and put it in water, and it's yeah. like she did the lecture. Hmm. Yeah. It was hmm. like, yeah. So we can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's no, we just forgot how to do that, mm-hmm. and there's an imprint that if we do that, somehow we're going to spoil the kids. Mm. And actually, I think we spoil them by um, essentially letting them know that they have no value until you can make some money. Yeah, they have value until they're about oh, seven. Then dark. they're not cute anymore. <laughs> yeah, and so from about seven to seventeen, hmm. basically we tolerate them. <laughs> oh, and then you know, when they can become productive, uh, or maybe they're productive in schoolwork. So you know, but you know, if you don't buy into that whole thing, essentially you have no value. And I work with adolescents about that age, seventeen, eighteen, for thirty years, and um, nobody ever listened to them. Hmm. They don't listen hmm. to. Them. Uh, before class would start, I could hear them. And I, I often thought, I wish your parents were up so they could hear mm. what's going on in your head. And once a week, mm. uh, four days a week, I would say, it's my agenda on the fifth day, it's your agenda. And so on that fifth day, we'd just put everybody in a circle and say, what, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to say? Wow. What do you want to hear about from your fellow students and all that? And then, and it's like, 
there's a there's an amazing richness there, and I'll quit talking about this in a minute. But the oh, the, love the, it. <laughs> the Lakota's uh, perspective is children exist to provide hope. Hmm. So when we look at children, we're looking at what life can be, yeah. right? Yeah. And the elders exist um, to give us wisdom. And those of us who are in the middle is to make sure that both of those are protected hmm. so that we lose no wisdom and that we don't do anything to smash the hope. Right. You know, Macy and I work with high school students in a church. That's uh-huh. what we do. Yeah. And uh, so much of what you say sort of syncs up with a lot of the things. Yeah. I say I often talk about um, youth being prophets in our midst. Absolutely. But uh, even last night, you know, um, a parent came up to me and had something urgent to talk to me because we have our programming on Wednesday nights. And, um, you know, this is a common interaction with a kid. So she has a high school student, but then uh, an elementary student sitting next to her. And she, she comes up to me and says, I need to talk to you. She points at me, runs up to me, and, and then looks at her daughter and says, okay, if you cannot bother us for a few minutes, this will go Whoa. really quick. But I, 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 in my man, I just, I just heard that word, you know, it's, and she's a nice, uh, she's a very nice loving mother, but, but it's just these words that sort of get used habitually Mm -hmm. that carry a lot of meaning. Well, and and the message is what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. And she's actually taking self-worth away Hmm. from Hmm. her daughter. Hmm. Now we would not intentionally do that. I don't think if we knew we were doing that, but that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, One more story. We were in this restaurant. And there were, uh, it's fun, it's, uh, I mean, it's sad and it's sort of fun. Um, I invite this gentleman and his family for dinner, mm-hmm. and there are like six of them. And uh, what I know is uh, at dinner, there'll be like 18 of them, right? Mm. Because everybody's related, and they'll actually drive two hours to get a meal, right? And so we're at this big, long table in this restaurant, and I'm talking to uh, this gentleman's daughter who actually runs a business that we helped him uh, establish. And um, the little girl gets down, she starts running around the table. Running, Mm -hmm. I mean, just incessantly. Then she'd go sit in the window booth, and they'd have to shush her out of there because somebody wanted to go sit down. So there's this running and running. And finally, the mom turns to me and said, you know, uh, my little girl needs to run, so I'll be back. I love so, that. Took her outside and they just ran for about 20 <laughs> minutes and came back and, you know, okay, we'll continue the conversation. I'm thinking, yeah. um, that's how you teach self-worth. Yeah. yeah. You give it. Yeah. You don't, um, <laughs> you don't put it on stickies and stick it on your forehead uh, or do an hour a week of, uh, we're going to do things to help you feel good about yourself. It's a, it, it's an experience. Hmm. Um, it's like, you know, it's, it's the doing as opposed to the saying. It it makes me think of how valuable that is for like adults in that situation to be reminded of our bodies. This yeah. these children around us are reminding us well, we're embodied people. And, and the cure is not uh, an external. I need to remember that the cure is an inner internal realization that that's true about you too. Mm-hmm. So that when you're interrupted, you say, "Hang on for a second. You know? um, I I think now we'll go into the male toxicity role, but. Uh, one of the things I'm aware of is that if a woman is talking, I'm more likely to interrupt her Ooh. than I am a male. We've talked about that this on this true. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a message to you yeah. if you're a woman. It's, a, it's like he's more important than you are. Yeah. And we're used to that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I need to become, I, I'm on a journey to become aware of how I, how I take away people's sense of self-worth without even knowing it. And typically, it's because I take it away from myself mm. and I don't realize it. Mm. I allow people to do that to me. And it doesn't even register. Hmm. So, self awareness is the fix for all of this. <laughs> Got to be more self aware. We're <laughs> <laughs> really trying. Part of the podcast, and Mark has talked about, we talk a lot about this, is this tool called the Enneagram that we use oftentimes. But we talk, we, every five episodes, we do an episode on the Enneagram. And that's what we say. It's just, it's a tool for self awareness. We're right. just trying to become more self aware. And self discovery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because last time we talked about it, we talked just about this idea of you're not trying to improve yourself, but just find your inner self that's already good and Absolutely. has so much to offer. Okay, so uh, like I said, main topic is uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is no main. I, don't, I, I, I like rabbit trails. We should do all rabbit trails. But just I'm very intrigued and we're all intrigued by this idea of falling in love with yourself. And then you, you have the, the phrase again. And obviously this ties with everything you've been saying, but um, this seems to be one of the main elements of the work that you do. So what, what do you mean by falling in love with yourself again? Um. It goes back to that, the easiest way to describe it is that poem called The Guest House. Mm -hmm. And Show notes. <laughs> I, I've often, I have a, a program, uh, like a four or five day program uh, that I call Ultimate Listening. Hmm. Right? And I have some listening um, exercises uh, and workshops that I do where I have people practice listening to each other. Uh, in different kinds of ways, and typically what people walk away with, I thought I was listening, but I'm just waiting for you to shut up so I can mm -hmm. tell you what I think. Um, and I call it the ultimate listening because the most diff the, actually the people who are most difficult to listen to are the ones closest to us because we have mm -hmm. an investment in where they go with their thinking. So if it's going in a oh, direction so true. that is scary... Uh, we sort of cut that off. I, re mm. I remember one day uh, I'm driving back to the airport in Kauai after spending two months with my son who lives there. It's been a great thing. And out of my mouth pops these words, I hate my life. Oh. It's like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did that come from? And I call that the voice. Mm. That's the voice. I mm. hate my life. My wife goes, oh, no, you don't. You love your life. And it's like, well, you're right. And my son goes, Dad, I mean, would you stop thinking for just, you know, I think you feel too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, guys, you're right. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know where that came from, uh, but I sort of knew better. Yeah. Uh, there was no reason for me to hate my life. And the reason my wife says, oh, no, you don't is because she's a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like an integral part. And the life mm -hmm. I hate it, does that mean 
okay, I'm done with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And my son is like the same thing. It's like they can't possibly allow me to do that. Right? So uh, that's the voice I call ultimate listening because uh, we're most critical uh, of that voice inside of our head that talks to us every day. We have this huge critic. And um, it's the finding out um, you know, what, you know, what is going on inside and honoring that. And the um, idea is to make peace with those parts. To, uh, typically, you know, I hate my life is really the end of a lot of taps on the shoulder and nudges. I have paid no attention to. Oh, especially when you blurt it out that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's like, I don't know where it came from. Uh, but on the inside, I sort of... I'd been there more than once. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I knew that it was true. Hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Uh, but over the next five months, it became more and more clear that I didn't like what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I had no reason to not like it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who was in our field would have gone, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, and, and uh, five months later, I walk into our office. We had a company. I walked, and my wife and I were running it. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, well, I'm not ready to quit, mm-hmm. but you go find out what it is you want to do. Oh. Wow. And I think we'll be great. And it's like, uh, that's the kind, that's, that's the kind so of person I want to have as an asset, as opposed to you'll never be satisfied. Here mm-hmm. we go again. Um, oh yeah, that kind of stuff. another inner critic. Yeah, another so critic. so I call it ultimate listening because it's making peace with the voice. Mm-hmm. Right? And I've often thought maybe I should change the workshop to listening to the voice, but I imagine that the voice is now trademark. But oh, <laughs> that's really what it is. It's listening to and honoring the voice and understanding the biggest things that come up that seem the most frightening are just an exaggerated version of mm-hmm. something that's been you know, trying to Tapping get my attention yeah. for a long time. And it, it works out better if I pay attention earlier. Right. I don't get kicked in the shin. <sighs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, you know, some people believe that's dangerous because if you listen to that voice, it's going to lead you to depredation and all that. And it, that's not really true. It sort of leads us back to, if I'm listening to my voice, I can respect yours. Yeah. Right? I don't judge you. I don't, you know, it's like, and I would encourage you to do the same because it's better for me if you honor your voice, you can honor my voice. I mean, it's just, there's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. Um, and it's really a coming back to ourselves. We didn't know there was anything wrong with us hmm. until we started learning from the outside world that uh, we we're less than perfect somehow. Yeah. Uh, inside of all of us, and it's not all dark. You know, there's an mm-hmm. artist inside of us, a musician, a dancer, a poet. Um, but if we're not, if we're not even paying any attention to it, we don't capture those parts. But we we might love poetry, mm-hmm. so we get to mm-hmm. experience it vicariously. I, I have a friend of mine who's gone to 57 Bruce Springsteen concerts. He's got his own <gasps> private plane. Oh my gosh. He flies all over. He's he says, Bruce Springsteen fans. <laughs> and, uh, if you've ever read Bruce Springsteen's story, it's his story. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's his story. And he, doesn't, he doesn't recognize it, but he said, it just, it's like I'm huh. him. And it's huh. like, yes. That, that working <laughs> it, class. Yeah. And he yeah. really. So we, we feel like we, it, you know, it, we want to touch that, but we have no sense. It's he's showing on the outside who we are on the inside, yeah. but we mm-hmm. don't give ourselves permission to even uh, move in that direction. So uh, you know, I the a metaphor I use is a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, uh, the, so if you can imagine a tree, the trunk of the tree 
is um, what we're told as children that will make us happy. And it's like, if you do this, if you become this, if you get this much money, if you marry this kind of person, you have these kinds of kids, live in this kind of place, whatever it is, it's it's the human doer part. The human mm. doer will give you a sense of belonging and autonomy and safety and security and self-expression and purpose and connection. It'll give you the whole thing. Right? Mm. Uh, and we send, uh, I've never heard anybody say to a young child, um, who do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, who? What? what do you want to do? What do you want to Ooh. be? What do you yeah. want to do? Yeah. As if that's the answer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, that's a profound th- shift. That's why in it's thinking. even even this whole conversation. I keep trying to get Ted to tell us what he does, and you have almost refused to do it. Like this is who I am. That's how you answer the question. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Right. We're and, so used um, to what do you do? Yeah. Uh, when I start the workshops, uh, I don't say I, I say to people, we don't want you to talk about what you do. Hmm. Women, uh, in the, if it's a men's program, um, politics, religion, because uh, all that's the external. Uh, I, uh, what I want you, first thing I'd like for you to share with this, is what part of you said, I want to do this. And I want you to talk to that part and find out what it hopes that you might gather from this. Hmm. That's a whole different conversation. Than, uh, what Why is it so emotional to talk about talking to these parts of ourselves? Yeah. Right when you even say it, every time I get a little emotional. Yeah. Well... That there are parts of this that are dying to be heard. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Not shut down. Yeah. You know, but listen to. And I really, my experience has been when I listen well, uh, it's, it's valuable information. Hmm. And um, I'm never quite sure what's going to come out of that voice. It could be a scared little seven-year-old kid yeah. who needs some comforting. Hmm. Or it's a 700-year-old wise person who's saying, this is the... This is the news, or this is the information, or this is the how it is, and I'm, you know, I'm the wisdom keeper, and I'm. It's now time for you to wow intake that. Ooh, but I we love don't, the idea of a seven hundred year old person inside me. me <laughs> we don't know until we listen to it. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Our, okay. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> let me just right. say something really quick. We're in we're in an office building. Mark, my friend Mark, has arranged all of this. He doesn't have a microphone, but he's. Off camera, so to speak, <laughs> prompting Ted with some stories that he knows. Yeah. So Mark just said, "Tell him about the bonsai tree." Yeah. Well, so here we uh, go. We uh, don't know what this is, but first of all, uh, <laughs> the roots of the tree are what I call the soul, hmm. right? Hmm. And that's different than the spiritual piece. The spiritual piece is who are we? Hmm. How are we all connected to every? Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the roots are who am I hmm. individually? Um, the the canopy. Um, is what is death in the meaning of life kind mm. of thing, right? Uh, the, the roots are uh, my personal appointment with death, mm. which Whoa. is a part of the universal piece, but it's very personal. And um, so I, I'm always trying to explain this, right? Now, the trunk of the tree, which we, I call the ego, which is this is what I do. This is the costume I wear. This is yeah. me on stage, mm-hmm. right? The roots of me is offstage. No costume, no makeup. This is who I am. And quite often, um, in my experience, people, um, they'll say this sometimes out loud. I, I'm afraid if people knew who I really was, they wouldn't like me. Hmm. Right? Hmm. And essentially, because I don't like that part of me. Right? Yeah. And so I know they wouldn't. And uh, you know, so they make that part up. 
So um, I always try to explain those two things, which are not explainable, except in metaphor. Right. Mm. So um, this is what I came up with. Um, and I don't know where it came from, and it's probably not original. Every time I think Your I voice. have an original thought, I read <laughs> something voice, yeah. where Plato thought of it 25 oh, yeah, years yeah. ago, yeah. and I feel totally bummed about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that's okay, too, because it's like universal. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so this is the way, uh, in the men's retreat that I just did, um, I said, okay, so here we are as men. And what happens is, um, and I use the metaphor, actually I've written a poem about this, but I, I found a poet in myself, but everybody had one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as little kids, oh, we wrote little ditties. And yeah. Yeah. You know, anyway, we stopped doing that because somehow we didn't measure up. Um, uh, so, so here's the image. Um, we have two trees, mm-hmm. and, and, and one of them is allowed to grow naturally, mm-hmm. and it turns into something. And a bonsai tree is exactly of that same uh, species, I don't know if you know that. Bonsai trees are not miniature. They're not. They're the, sa- the same as any kind of tree. Oh, right. but we yeah. usually see them as miniature. Right. So, the only the thing I know about trees, bonsai trees is from Karate Kid 3. Yeah. So the this bonsai is really trees helpful information. are immediately <laughs> put into a very small uh, container so the roots can't expand. They only will grow as much as they can. And then the keeper begins to trim away yeah. uh, parts that aren't beautiful. Hmm. That's what we do to human beings in our culture. Wow. <gasps> so a male is born. And one of the first things is standard without much thinking about it. We cut off the most sensitive part of the most sensitive part. Oh, yeah. That's now, dark. If, if women, if dark. we did that with women, uh, in our culture, we go, uh, there's something. In other, in other words, it's done to women so they don't feel so much pleasure. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I can't help believe that there's something that happens to men when that happens to Wow. Uh, hmm. And I believe that has a whole lot to do with the sexual acting out because I'm hungry. Only that can give it to me. I can never get enough of it. So, hmm. you know, uh, anyway, so yeah. that's, a, that's a whole other rabbit trail. Um, <laughs> but that's at about the age of three or four, we become the keepers of our own bonsai tree. So oh. we have a wow. thought, we go, I, uh, I have that's a 12 year old granddaughter who told me last summer um, we were going to play a game called Pictionary. And she said, well, I don't like to play that game because I can't draw. And mm. I'm thinking, oh, my God, when did you decide that? Yeah. You know, because yeah. her art production for the first 10 years of her life was, like, amazing. Mm. And she said, I can't draw. So she's cutting her own yeah. bonsai tree because that wasn't really rewarded, like mm. the artist part. Uh, one of the scariest thing I think to a mom and dad is um, the ten year old says, "I think I want to be an artist." It's like, yeah, but how are you going to make a living? <laughs> uh, uh, like that's the most important mm, thing. That's yeah. the yeah. trunk of the tree. Yeah, um, totally. Not trusting that uh, her art may lead her, if unimpeded, to making a living like no one else has ever made. Yeah. But we don't have uh, our culture doesn't have the confidence that yeah. that's true. Uh, we don't we don't believe that our unique development will have us be unique in a way that actually might be commercially uh, helpful. And many of the musicians and artists and so on were the kids who uh, refused to buy into the dominant culture sense of, hey, here's where success lies. Yeah. This is a big theme of our podcast, and it's also Macy's paints. And she's, she keeps saying uh, 
she wants to get me to paint. And even <laughs> to your point about bonsai trees, I keep saying, Scott's no, afraid. I can't. I can't right. paint. Yeah. And we still haven't done it, even though she brings it up all the time. Oh, my God, I don't <laughs> well, want to paint. The, uh, you know, it's like, um, don't mess with my beliefs about myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because True. if I learn I have to paint, then you might not say, you know, why don't I want to paint? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. I want to paint. I want to paint. And it's like, um, well, um, how are we going to pay for the house? And oh, what about, right. the, what about the kid just college education and all that? It's like, don't I'm send me down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause I might, I might, I might find out love. how unhappy I, might, mm. I am. Right? Mm. How, I mean, Macy, you just said I might fall in love with yes. painting, with painting or even like painting that screws too. up everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like falling in love with another person. It's going to mess up your uh, current relationship. Hmm. I remember, so, I remember I was in marriage counseling for, two years and I remember I started going bouldering hmm. and that was something we had to talk about marriage counseling my wife was like oh, I don't I don't why are you going bouldering so much who is this person why and yeah like, well that wasn't the contract I signed yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah well and, and it was if, a little blip but it um, was interesting if you start doing that and I don't give myself permission to do that mm-hmm. it yeah. is really scary mm-hmm. because you will change yeah you know like uh, if you start letting the uh limbs grow and not cut them off yeah it's like you know like well i don't do that so how can you give yourself that's when that's when difficulties begin the interest and uh, the interesting thing too is if you take that bonsai tree out and then plant it in the ground it explodes and in fact even in the small pot the reason we have to keep trimming things off is because it refuses to stay in the pot Hmm. It, it refuses to not try to express itself, hmm. but so that's why you have to keep constantly monitoring. You know, the wow. I, I can't draw, I can't dance, I can't sing, hmm. I can't write poetry. Yeah, you know, I have a little exercise where I just ask people to, you know, do six things and then say, just turn that into a phrase, and it becomes I call it the poetry machine. Right? Hmm. So, um, this is all so syncing up with everything we talk yeah. about. I love this. this. Is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you have an experience and I say, um, you know, capture a sound mm. from that experience. And it's like the bell, the ringing bell. And how about a smell? And how about a form of movement? And how about um, um, something tactile, mm. like the, uh, something you saw, whatever it is? And then just add a couple words, put them together, and we have a poem. You got a poem. That's a poem. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's like, so we can disavow that you are not a poet. Right? Mm-hmm. Because when I, then I mix yeah. them up so nobody knows what it is. And people are going like, wow. Like, wow. And then some of the workshops I do, I send people out and I have them listen to a part of this. They come back and they share what happened and everybody sits around going, holy cow, that is mm-hmm. like, that's amazing. But mm-hmm. I read mine and I go, well, this is a piece of dirt, but you know, compared to you guys, but that's how much this, mm-hmm. they're going, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're even, even as Ted, even as the guy that teaches this, you yeah. still probably have that <laughs> habit of yeah. like, oh, this isn't as good as yours. And yeah, well, yeah. I, I always say first draft, first draft, first so draft, don't mm. judge me. Mm. Um, but we set it up so that nobody judges anybody. They yeah. just say, thank you. Mm. Right? That's mm. really good. It isn't like, wow, that's a great poem. Because if we do that, his poetry ability is going to go right in the toilet. Yeah. Right. If we praise the result, then we are going to inhibit uh, that whole 
peace. Mm-hmm. If we praise the effort, if we praise the um, permission that you gave yourself to do that, mm-hmm. then it expands. So it's, uh, you know, in our culture, we got that wrong, too. It's like, um, we'll praise the, uh, you know, uh, you played a really good game. Yeah. Right? And typically that means you scored a lot of points, you played a lot of defense, or whatever it is. But it's like, you know, it takes a lot of courage to go out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In front of all those people. You know, you you say you really loved that Fred Rogers documentary. Yeah. And you assigned people to see it. And <laughs> we, I saw it with my family and we were just crying the whole time. And, yeah. and we even just said afterwards, what if you felt that way after you went to a church service? You know, yeah. so inspired mm-hmm. and so moved. But I think one of the things that comes up in that documentary and I'm sure comes up for you is this, these other voices that pop up in Fred Rogers' life where they say, you know, if you tell this kid or these people that they're loved unconditionally you're risking something, you're harming them, you're right. well, spoiling you know, them. Or yeah, another what? metaphor I use is um, you, can, you can train a horse a couple ways. You can break them, which I, which I uh, propose, that's what we do with our kids, we break them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we break their spirit, then we train them in the way mm-hmm. that we want them to go. Uh, it is very clear that there's something called natural horsemanship, where you, each horse is different and it's unique, and you take their natural attributes mm. and you shape them, and you don't break them. Yeah. Mm. And if we did that with our children, I think we would have the same result. Yeah. That's yeah. my premise. And Fred Rogers' uh, message to the kids is this: You're okay, and you always have been. Mm. Right. If you want to talk about uh, war, let's talk about war. Yeah. Do you want to talk about divorce? Let's talk. Want to talk about death? Let's talk about death. Yeah. And um, interesting enough, in that movie, um, he tried to bring that message to the adult world, mm-hmm. and he was thrown out of it. Right? Mm. And wow. at his funeral, there were people protesting, saying, "You cannot possibly tell people they're right. okay. You have spoiled an entire generation of people." Wow. I don't know if you remember that part of the movie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And of, yeah. The other interesting thing about the Fred Rogers is. Um, uh, my wife would be in tears, and I'd go... <laughs> You're trying like, to hold back? Well, I, I wasn't even trying to hold back. It wouldn't come. Uh, mm. uh. I, I couldn't, mm. you know, and it's that inhibiting part of mm. uh, wherever I learned that, you know, I, I, I can't open the display, uh, whatever it was. I think mm-hmm. it was a loss or, you know, like uh, if one person would have been able to say that to me, Hmm. Uh, growing up, how different my life would have been. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, but I, I couldn't, so that's the bonsai tree trimmings. Like, yeah. Uh, men are quite often accused of not having a full range of emotions and with full depth. And I, well, we trim that part off. Hmm. 
in, in the tree trunk world, uh, it's not efficient or effective for you to sit in a board meeting as a male and, and start crying. <laughs> it's not effective. Yeah, and it's not appropriate for me as a woman to be angry. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. if you yeah. started doing that in the board meeting, you would be dismissed. I mean, uh, you might not be thrown out of the meeting, but it would be like, oh, she oh she's can't, crazy. Can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And if uh, a male does that, he obviously is emotionally unstable. Hmm. Right. right. I, I got an evaluation once because I went into the principal and I go, do you understand what your behavior is, the effect it's having on the staff and the students? And I teared up. Hmm. And at the end of that year, my evaluation was emotionally unstable. Oh, wow. Ah, see, yep. that is so interesting. Yep. Emotionally. Yeah, you teared up. Yeah. And, and I'm, I mean, that's not unusual. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be affected by anything hmm. uh, in, in that tree trunk world of our culture. Hmm. We see this thing just in our culture recently, like two big things I think that come to mind are uh, Serena Williams getting upset and angry at her tennis match. And then obviously Brett Kavanaugh and his hearings, which is just a great little picture of people getting really certain people getting really excited about Brett Kavanaugh's anger. And, you know, right. so in their mind, this righteous indignation. But Serena Williams, obviously, literally getting shut down by a white male judge, right. <laughs> you know, right. and people saying she was out of line. And th- then there was like all sorts of clips and and uh, uh, things put together on YouTube where it had like a great little montage of all the men tennis players that have gotten <laughs> angry and lashed out and how that's sort of heroic and mm-hmm. so yeah, and interesting. You know, it, again, it's cultural specific. Um, if someone close to us dies having profound, out loud grief, um, it doesn't work. If, in the Middle East, if somebody dies, they carry them through the streets and they're screaming and wow. crying. And that's, that's what they do to get rid of the grief. And in our dominant culture, my experience is we shut that down and you know, we're good soldiers and we don't we don't allow the emotional part and mm. that's not normal. Yeah. There's a, even animals a grief. Mm. There's this beautiful story about this, um, matriarch of a dog pack that died. And, um, the, the woman was looking out at her, the lot where they were raising, um, these dogs and the matriarch died. And, um, she didn't know that, but she's the, the, uh, dogs were all standing around in a pack, looking at her, hmm. right? And then with her binoculars, she realized she wasn't breathing and that she was dead. And, th- and they stayed there f- and moaning uh, wow. for three mm. hours. And then her mate uh, stayed with her for two days. Wow. He huh. laid with her for two days. It's like, uh, we're supposed to be over it in three weeks, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so... Uh. Gosh, so good. <laughs> I keep I keep asking questions and saying some things. Do you want to say something? <laughs> no, do you have a question? <laughs> yeah, I have lots of questions. Um, I just wonder. I I I I want to wonder a little bit about this whole thing of like. I forgot that you came from like a church background. We work in a church. Uh, I'm obviously not. Well, not obviously. I'll just say I'm not a person that really accentuates and you know talks a lot about sin or Mm. if I do it's probably different than it was probably taught to me growing up but um it's just so interesting that we're supposed to be to a certain extent teaching 
kids and people and adults about a loving God who loves yeah. us unconditionally. And then all of a sudden, all because I had some maybe not as extreme experiences as you growing up, but similar a similar feeling of like I'm not I'm not repentant enough. I'm not mm. guilty enough. I'm not. Uh, I, I've got to show how bad I feel, and um, and then and then something's going to happen. Right. I don't know what it is, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, something that was really helpful to me is I ran across the work of Richard Rohr. Mm. Yes, we love Richard Rohr. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I thought uh, actually I said to a friend of mine who is an ex priest, um, if I had known Richard Rohr, I'd be a Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be oh, a Franciscan. Yeah. He goes actually. That's not what Franciscans believe. <laughs> uh, it's what Richard Rohr believes. Right. But what I what I love is he said um, sin is the inability to recognize that we're already connected to God. Ah, mm-hmm. that's a good way. And, and it's like I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like I that. Really like that. Um, that that really the whole story in the Garden of Eden and so on was um, they believed that they were no longer connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They walked away with that belief mm-hmm. when. Um, so if there's original sin, it's the, that somehow, um, that there's something that happened that makes me not mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have an entire culture built around that. I'm not okay. So, um, I'll buy things and maybe I can be more okay. I mean, people have taken advantage of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, so it, what really helped me about the Richard Rohr thing is, oh, there's a different way of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, no wonder it feels so bad. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, because I'm not acknowledging, you know, it's like my wife saying, I love you and my refusal to believe that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because it, like I, I don't believe I'm lovable. Right? Mm. If she really knew me, she wouldn't love me, that, that kind of thing. And it's, oh, the trunk. Yeah. The roots. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, another philosopher, theologian, therapist guy, like his name is Peter Rollins, and he often talks about how he's a great person that looks at more of like the psychological DNA of our beliefs. And so he, he, he'll he go on a circuit and, you know, it's pretty, fairly typical that you'll see like an atheist and a Christian debating, and he sort of breaks down that whole paradigm and says, you know, we all have a belief system, and it's manifesting itself in a similar way through all these different beliefs. So you could be a, a really harsh judgmental atheist or a harsh judgmental Christian Christian. And he'll just say, you're just going to grab onto a belief system that will amplify your beliefs. So if you, so if you're going to be a harsh judgmental person and then you're given the language of Christianity or sin to n- now utilize that to make people feel right. bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're just a person that, eventually maybe through your own personal growth or self-love sees the world as good and people as good, then you're probably not going to be inclined to use Christianity in that way hmm. and right. just beat people over the head with sin yeah. and stuff like that. You no, know, Christianity or whatever uh, the spiritual beliefs are, um, are a way of helping, the way I see it, helping me understand who we are. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and under ideal conditions, they encourage us to find out who I am. Mm-hmm. But some of those practices tell me to not go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, uh, for example, if I'm feeling depressed, my job is to count my blessings. Mm. Like, don't go mm. to the depression. <sighs> oh, that's tough. If, yeah. I, if I'm anxious, uh, 
It's like, here are 31 ways. I actually have a document, 31 ways to manage your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means uh, let's try to shut it up. Let's yeah. try to get away from it or whatever. Totally. Uh, and some of those, uh, what I would call spiritual or religious teachings, is like, well, invite it in. Talk to it. Uh, encourage the conversation. So our, our spiritual beliefs can reinforce the, hey, talk to yourself. Hmm and give us tools to do that. Hmm. Or yeah. it can say, uh, along with the ego part, can go, don't go there. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, most therapists deal from the ego, not the roots. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you're depressed, it's, uh, and if I can prescribe medication, that's my first thing. Hmm. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll drug yeah. the messenger. Yeah. Hmm. Because an, another side of uh, depression is expression. Hmm. Hmm. And my experience is when people, even if they're talking about their depression, while they're talking about it, they're not depressed. Hmm. <laughs> they're, they're talking about it. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that hmm. that's a cure yeah. for depression, um, but expression tends to be, while they are expressing themselves, an antidote to hmm. the powerlessness, isolation, wow. hopelessness, helplessness, because they're doing something. Quite often in our work, um, we use um, uh, art. Or, or we use music, or we use <laughs> so good. Uh, poetry. Yeah. Now, when yeah. I was working with uh, the kids that nobody else wanted to play with, um, I caught the dark leather jacket crowd of the pep rally, the, the, part, <laughs> the part of the gym that's, the, that's so the good. part of the gym that soaks yeah. up all the yeah. light. We know what you're talking of, about. Of, um, what <laughs> I would say to them, first of all, uh, when I would get together the emo with them, the emo people. Yeah. When they got together in a group, uh, I would say, so what is it? And they go, there's something wrong with me. Hmm. I'm the problem uh, all the way around. I, I was born bad. Blah, 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 blah. And one of the things I did is say, um, uh, what I'd like to know what your favorite song is. Hmm. Now, you're probably going to have to write the words out because I can't pick them up. Uh, and, and kids would actually write these out who didn't write. Hmm. Hmm. They would say, I can't write. Well, hmm. you know, we'd have this sheet and then we'd play the song. Yeah. And yeah. Say, well, tell me when you first heard that song. Mm. Uh, tell me how that touches you. Tell me what part of that song is you. Uh, and and pff, out come the stories. And wow. you know, it's a good exercise. That is a good exercise. It's a, it's a great exercise. Yeah. And uh, uh, then I would tell them mine. Like, Here's my favorite song. Mm. Are you kidding me? Rocky Mountain High. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's my story. Yeah. It's how awesome. it gave you hope to go on. And yeah. It sort of told your story. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm not the only one. You know, it's like that happened for me too. So I mean, it's that hmm. that kind of. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're all dying to be heard. Yeah. You know, to say um, how to, you know, my job is to help you fall in love with yourself again. I maybe I can just give a little 
primer on how you do that? Please. Yeah, I would love Great. that. Great. Yeah, right. Ted's guiding the conversation. Ted is. He asked his own question. <laughs> yeah. Ted, well, give, us give us a primer. A primer. <laughs> uh, you know, if I were listening to this, like, so how do I do that? Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah exactly, so, yeah. So, um, it's a nice idea. I, I say it's very simple, but it's not easy hmm. in hmm. the beginning. And um, you need time. You need information about how to do it, and you need a witness. Hmm. Need those three things. Time, information, witness. Time, okay. information. Time alone. Yeah. Uh, you need a witness, and you need some instructions in terms of how to do it. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, this is my work. So, actually, I was talking with a young man um, who um, didn't do as well on a test last week as he thought he would. And what began cascading is you didn't do well on a test. That means you're not going to have a 3.9, which means you're not going to be accepted into graduate school, mm. which means you're not got, and you're going to be a loser. Just right? the catastrophic Ooh. thing. Yeah. Ooh. So yeah. I said, in our next appointment, I said, um, we're going to imagine that we have a, a board meeting. You're the CEO. And in one chair, we got this dude who's saying, uh, life as you know it is over. And you need to sacrifice everything else you're doing and who you are to make sure that does not happen again, right? Hmm. cut yourself off from everything except academia. That's what that voice is. And then you'll be lucky if you make it. Hmm. Right? And then as we were talking this morning, this other part emerged, which was, you know what? Uh, there's more to life than that. And if you do that, uh, you're going to die in many other ways. Hmm. And that one was just as nasty as, <laughs> I mean, so he's got this thing going on. So what, what we'll do is uh, the next time I talk with him, um, I'm going to interview them. So I'm going to have him have two chairs, and I'm going to mm. have him speak from that part that's the doom and gloom mm. uh, if you don't totally concentrate on what I would call the ego part or the trunk yeah. of the tree. Um, no distractions. Um, even if it costs you the person that you're in love with, mm. you know, don't let her get in the way. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's I good mean, word. that's what that voice is saying. Yeah. And so um, in, in a voice from my perspective, uh, which is... Um, in that moment in time, I'm going to have the mindset that that part of him is in possession of all knowledge. Wow. Hmm. Like it's right. Hmm. And my job is to, every time it says something, well, tell me more what that word means and hmm. tell me. And, and the truth is, when any of us uh, are listened to, whatever narrative we carry, whether it's a political narrative, whatever, if somebody listens to us long enough, we're going to run into our own discrepancies hmm. and our own inconsistencies. Right. Yeah. So then what I'm going to do is after, and, you know, my job is to summarize and clarify and not make any judgments about it. And then I'm going to move him to the other chair and say, okay, so tell me your side. Um, you're saying if we follow the guy, the doom and gloom guy, he's going to die too. Hmm. So tell me that story. Hmm. And it's really so that he can make peace with these two pieces so that the executive vice presidents are not at war with each other hmm. and he's caught in the middle. He gets yeah. to be the CEO going, you have some good points. Mm -hmm. You have some good points. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Right. And both of you are valuable. Thank you. Next time, uh, you don't have to come blowing the door down, <laughs> uh, you know, knock on the door yeah. and tell me there's something you want to tell me. Uh, and neither of you, uh, I want you to put your weapons away because yeah. Yeah. you are in a sword fight. Mm. And um, that's not how we're going to solve this. So it's in that way, it's making peace with the disparate parts of us 
and mm. it's having a literal conversation. And it's giving space to those voices. I Absolutely. think when you give space to them, they're not as scary and daunting and yeah, huge. Uh, it, as I said, it's like a little kid who doesn't have to yell and scream to get your attention. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and the reason it comes rushing at it is because it's been tapping us on the shoulder and we haven't been listening. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. so, so the witness probably oftentimes is a therapist, right? Uh, it can be, or yeah. um, somebody somebody who's tra- who's been through it and who's doing it themselves, and who knows better than to comment on it mm. hmm. right? to interpret it. In this work, you don't need a therapist. You don't need a you don't need an interpreter. You don't need an analyzer um, uh, because you'll sit with your own wisdom, hmm. and it begins to, you know. Um, form its own juices, right? Yeah. Hmm. And it's actually interfering. I love this. It's yeah. actually interfering uh, to begin to, you know, you see the, if I if I see, oh, they're one step away from this enlightenment point, and I'll, I'll just push them <laughs> to the <laughs> enlightenment point, uh, it, it falls apart. And hmm. really what they learn to do is depend on somebody like me to interpret what's right for them. Hmm. Hmm. And quite often they're left in a little bit of distress. Hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but it, my job, I think, is if they walk out the door and they're still continuing to marinate in it, uh, that's good. If they walk out the door, I haven't given them the answer. For every step they take away from my door, hmm. they have less and less of the answer because it's not theirs. Oh, it's mine. man. Yeah, uh, we have you, we have ten minutes left of you, okay. Ted. Uh, right. It's just so interesting how if you listen back to if if one listens, whoever's listening to this listens back to several of our episodes in our podcast. It's really quite interesting to me how much of what you're saying ties into the yeah. things we've been exploring without yeah. even having planned that. Right, it's I, really I think there's a universal knowing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And when somebody starts talking about it, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that feels a whole lot more right than this. Well, we talk a lot about art and music and self-knowledge and Enneagram and all this stuff. And I, was, I even told a story on a podcast uh, episode a few weeks ago where I was talking about a friend of mine who ha- actually happens to be a therapist. And it was just a learning moment for me. I think it was five or six years ago. We were walking and he said he was feeling depressed. And this is another one of just those habitual things we do. And especially I would just say coming from the Christian world we do as Christians. And I wanted to launch into my big, uh, encouragement speech. Anti-depression. Yeah. yeah like, mm-hmm. Oh, you don't have any reason to be depressed because this, and you're such a great guy. And, and he said, you know, this is more about you than me because you don't feel comfortable with my depression. Yeah. So you want to snap me out of it so we can have a nice talk. But to your point, this whole time of like, Inviting that into the room and asking what it's trying to say. and Yeah, um, yeah. And, and one of the things I didn't mention is uh, I often say, okay, so imagine this energy. Uh, is it human, non-human? And I have them you know, paint the picture for me, sometimes literally mm-hmm. uh, paint the picture, uh, so that it can recognize it. They can wow. recognize the costume. Yeah. Wow. And um, the only way that I can stand there doing that is if I know that place myself. Right. Mm. Uh, it's not a scary place. And I, I've gone there, and it's like I've learned amazing things. Mm. Yeah. Amazing things have happened. Uh, something happened very when the whole Christianity thing uh, fell away from mm-hmm. me. Um, and my kid's mom and I split. Uh, you know, I, I apparently was talking suicidal, mm. but I mm. didn't even realize it. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, and um, I would say, you know... Because yeah, it was so much pain. And uh, 
oh, no, I mean, it's all that, and it didn't help. But one person said to me, um, so how would you do it? Hmm. I said, you know, I would go sit in front of a train. Wow, that's really interesting. A train? I said, yeah, because I learned in science class that at the moment of impact, I would stop that train. Yeah, wow. And she goes, "Um, well, uh, tell me what you think happens next. I said, well, they'd find me scattered all over. And uh, and she said, then what? And I said, well, they, they would they would think I'm crazy. That's what mm. they think now. Mm. I'm not going to give them that satisfaction. I'm going to stay alive and make them deal with me. Mm. I mean, uh, her willingness... Willingness to ask the hard to, question. ...to let me follow through with that thought actually brought me to life. And the next morning when I woke up, I realized I, I must have been like... 31 at the time. This is the first day I've ever chosen to live. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. That's how powerful, that's powerful that yeah. is. And so, you know, that's, that's when I learned not to be afraid of, of depression or suicidation um, because it's an incomplete thought. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And by telling people, stop thinking that way, it's bad, whatever. Uh, actually, what we're suggesting is um, there's no place to go to talk about this. Yeah. Right? So quit talking about it. And, and, you know, a mind untended is a very, <laughs> it's a very dangerous place because we come up with really weird <sighs> stuff, right? Yeah. Man. Yeah. And it's to your point earlier about like what we do with kids very early on. Somebody says, I'm having a hard day. Oh, come on. You don't have any reason. To look at this. Look at your life. You, yeah. know? you know, my, my daughter has done a really nice job with my grandchildren because um, every day it's uh, at the dinner table, it's. Uh, rose, bud, and thorn. Mm-hmm. You know, that, oh, yeah. What's the rose of the day? That's good. Um, which is something that you really enjoyed. Yeah. The bud, which is something you're really looking forward to. And the thorn is something painful. Yeah. yeah. And We can talk about that. So, yeah. yeah. There's always and place for shares. both of those at the yeah. table. Sorry? There's always place for both of those at the table. Yeah. 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 And so it, it normalizes all of those things. Right? Hmm. And um, the kids get to decide who goes first. Hmm. Right? <laughs> it's not a... Okay, uh, we'll do the kids first. Right. Uh, yeah. They get to choose who goes first. Mm. And they can pass. Mm. Oh, another good uh-huh. point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are we, are we <laughs> wrapping up? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, we want to honor Ted's time, but um, this, it, it just, it, we could keep going for another four hours. Yeah. I hope maybe someday we get to talk to you again, Ted, sure. when you're in town or something it. like that. This is so fun. Um, but I guess I would say... Uh, you know, we want to encourage people to love themselves. We're going to work on it. I I know. I feel very inspired and convicted. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I mean, I think Macy and I wanted to say, and we'll probably say this, reiterate it when we do our little intro, but Macy and I both have had a lot of breakthroughs through personal counseling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good for everybody. But I also just hear to, um, that, that we shouldn't view ourselves as professional counselors by any stretch of the imagination, but we can all become better listeners Absolutely. Yeah. You know, mm. to ourselves and, and, and others. And the better listener you are, the less likely that person who you're listening to is going to need a counselor. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. <laughs> what did you call it? Extreme listening? If, what if you're you with a counselor yeah. who suggests that there's something innately wrong with you, yeah. um, that's a part Red of the flag. problem, not a part of the solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, there are you know, there are counselors. There, like there are people who, in the profession, who bought into the everybody's broken and they need fixed and they sick and they need to get better, mm-hmm. and that's it's not true. Mm-hmm. So you can never get better enough. Because mm-hmm. right? even if you feel like you're okay, it's like then they'll go, well, now we're at the part where you're in denial. 
Uh, and then you're paranoid. Self doubt, right? Yeah. 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 I have, I think I have friends who are therapists that sort of, uh, or not, I mean, I have friends that are therapists. Maybe it's just my misconceptions of certain therapeutic models or something. But I, I, I knew I've been seeing the guy I see, uh, for maybe a year and a half now. And we've had to talk about how I, I have always had this underlying subconscious paranoia that he's going to pounce on me at some point. Mm-hmm. And he's discovered he's done enough work with me that now he knows and well, exactly he's going to catch wrong. me and he's had to reassure me several times that that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and it's interesting, Ted, in like, in like uh, religious or Christian language, I almost feel like this message that you have is, is gospel, like good news to people. Yeah. You know, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, as I have a, a Jewish friend who said, you know, um, where it says spare the rod and spoil the child. Yeah. We turned mm-hmm. that into beating. He said uh, the rod was how you kept a sheep from walking over the cliff. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. we no, missed like, it. Yeah, we've oh, missed the mark major. So okay, times. I got that. Yeah, yeah. I got that. spare and the in rod. Our culture, it's like it it's justifies insane. beating them. Totally. Yeah. I have family yeah. that talk about that. Yeah. <gasps> so I'm all for not. Sp- Bearing the rod. Yeah. If, you're, if the kid is about ready to fall over the cliff, like yeah. catch them, gently gentle. catch them and yeah. pull them back. I yeah. mean, that's our job. Hmm. But anyway, so oh. uh, it, what I realized around the Christian world is I got a very specific view of what they perceive spirituality hmm. or in Christianity to be. And it's bigger than that. Yeah, Way bigger. It's a lot bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. Bigger than that. Yeah. And, uh, if I can stay open, I think every one of those traditions has something. Hmm. Uh, they have a different facet of a 360-degree circle. Hmm. Hmm. And I want every, I want every piece I can possibly get yeah. of that and help make it my own. So. That's a good word to end on. Thank you so Thank much, you so Ted. Much. This welcome. has been Thanks so fun. We appreciate it. <laughs> <All right>. Okay. <laughs>